Hey, it's Kristen. This is Rational in Portland, where we say everything you can't say in Portland. Portland Party, you can find out more about them at portlandparty.org. It was started by a group of women. One of those co-founding women is here today with me. Her name is Vicki. Want to know more about the Portland Party? What is it? Why should you look into it? What's interesting about it? And why was it started? It's becoming a very influential group on social media. It's also endorsing various candidates for office and providing them with a broad amount of support, including monetary, social media, advice and consulting. And uh, let's find out more about it. Let's find out what it is. And we're going to talk to our guest, Vicki, today, who's one of the co-founders. Hi, Vicki. You're here from Portland Party. Tell us a little bit about what Portland Party is and why you co-founded it. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, it actually kind of sparked out of a next door group. Um, I think people towards the end of the last spring and summer started to finally get a little fed up with the mess on the streets and started speaking up a little more. And, um, this person, Joe started a next door group and I eventually joined up because I had a pretty serious camp in my own neighborhood. And it's just kind of become a safe space for people to vent without having to say every single time they are talking about an issue in their neighborhood that, yes, I have empathy. And no, I don't think every single homeless person is on drugs or a criminal um, because you pretty much on any social media, you obviously get called out for saying anything if you don't have a disclaimer like that along with it, right? Yeah, all the mandatory throat clearing that's necessary. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And so some of us started talking about um, elections for last May, and maybe somebody needed to run against Dan Ryan, and the person in the group uh, considered that, and somebody suggested getting together in person, which was like, Was well, that Stephen Cox? Um, no, this is somebody that didn't end up running, actually. Um, I don't want to out him. Yeah, sure. His, his, his employer basically poo-pooed the idea. But, you know, Bummer. because Oregon was in Portland, we're so locked down still at that point um, back in like January. I was like, oh, get together in person. People do that. We can do that. <laughs> Um, and so we met at a brewery, like with a heated patio so that we could be outside for people to feel COVID safe, um, talked about him running, let people kind of vent a little bit about politics and then, um, decided to meet again in two weeks to see what his employer had to say. And at that point, I am just kind of a really organized nerdy person and had taken some notes and had announced in the next door group we were meeting again 
And all of a sudden at that second meeting, it became like everybody was looking at me to guide them on what we could do, like who else we could find to run, which uh, Jennifer actually found Stephen Cox. Um, he was originally running for Joanne Hardesty's seat, which obviously had a bunch of people running. And so she convinced him to switch over to run against Dan Ryan. Um, but yeah, it just kind of started from there. We started meeting every two weeks. Um, somebody introduced us to Shreya Mayfield. And um, I actually became a pretty, uh, I guess she called us part of her executive volunteer team um, in helping her and several other people in the group did. And we just kept a steady pattern of meeting every other week at this brewery and uh, candidates kept asking to join us as we, you know, formed our name and got an email address going and then eventually a website. And it's all volunteer. Um, it's just been people in the group donating money to build this stuff. And that's portlandparty.org? Yes. And what was the brewery that y'all were meeting at? Because are, are you're going to start up events again, right, as we get closer to November to the general election? Yeah, um, I'm looking to reach out to some venues. So if anybody listening has a venue they want to host some candidate and charter review events at, um, we were kind of doing it improv and just showing up early and stealing tables. I, I wasn't, I didn't really have permission where we were at, but um, it was migration brewing. Um, and do you think so? You're thinking it won't continue there. That maybe it'll continue somewhere that donates their entire space to the event. Not necessarily. It was just outside in the tent and the snake with the rain some days. It was hard to hear people talking. Um, so we were maybe trying to find like a bigger open space indoors, possibly, um, since it will be fall and probably getting colder out again. Yeah, the 10 months of rain will start it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I know I, I have a lot of listeners that are very interested in Portland Party, Portland Party events, and want to be clued in. So everybody who's interested in this, wh where should they go to find out where, when you, when you determine where these events are for the general election, where should they go? Do they go to PortlandParty.org? Do they go to Facebook? Where do they go? Um, that's a good question. We'll probably set up an event page on the website. So yeah, PortlandParty.org. Um, we'll definitely create Facebook events for them and share that on Twitter and on our Facebook for sure. And what's the Twitter handle for Portland Party? I want oh. to make sure that everybody knows where to go. It's at Portland underscore party. Okay, great. So they can also go to at Portland underscore party on Twitter, follow you there and pay attention. That way they can be able to pay attention to what events you're having that are in preparation for the general election. And Based on what you all were doing in the primary, the really great work you were doing and the events you were holding, you get all the a lot. Maybe, I mean, you had a great slate before the primaries. Almost all the candidates that you're endorsing and insisting will come and they do meet and greets and they do speeches and people can ask questions. It seems really great. It's a great opportunity to get connected. Yeah, I think um, a lot of us just kind of voted along with whatever organizations we preferred or what newspapers we read. And in seeing that our tax dollars are not being spent the way we thought they were, um, wanting a little more accountability, we 
wanted to educate ourselves and not just rely on people's you know opinions anymore. And we, we learned a lot, um, especially from some of these underdog candidates that, for instance, things like uh, incumbency often grant, grant you endorsements automatically. Um, so endorsements aren't necessarily, so uh, especially, you know, from people that are getting money from the government are not, because they've got to work with these people, right? The May primary against Joanne, they've got to work with her until next January. So maybe they wouldn't necessarily not endorse her, right? Yeah, sitting candidates. Like I know, I think Dan Ryan gave the max amount, once he realized Renee cleared the primary, he gave the max amount to both Joanne and Renee, but he waited until after that primary. So yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at Joanne's donations, a lot of people currently sitting on the council are, are giving her donations and that makes sense. Like you said, they've got to work with her and, and that's probably a strategic thing, but it makes it tricky when you're running against an incumbent and you're trying to change city government. Yeah. And that's another thing um, we want to do is besides educating voters is um, helping people, no matter what party affiliation they have to try to run for office um, in volunteering for Shariah and then Stephen Cox as well. Um, just like coming up with a list of all the media outlets to contact. Um, we have 95 neighborhood associations just in Portland and with Shariah being at the county level, there were even more. Um, coming up with, you know, just contact lists for all these people to have and like maybe lists of, you know, like city club and other types of debate forums that they wanna, they're gonna have to fight for themselves to get invited to because the invites aren't gonna come to the underdogs naturally, especially in a primary, right? Yeah, that's right. And and I know Stephen Cox was frozen out of a lot of stuff. And fortunately, somehow Shariah was able to climb her way into like Oregonian interviews. And she took third, I think, in the primary, which is just incredibly impressive for a brand new candidate. I think a lot of that was due to your support. And I know people who made it past the primary are sort of reaching out to Portland Party and, and trying to get support because you are so influential with moderates and more centrist people who are on Twitter and people who see themselves as left-wing and progressive, but don't, like you said, don't really feel like the city is headed in the right direction, sort of feel like it's uh, too far for them, gone gone too far left for them, um, which I think for most of them is saying a lot. Are, are you, you're probably a lifelong Democrat uh, well, born and raised Republican in a rural, rural town in Western New York. So, um, but I've lived here for 20 years. I've been a liberal since college, obviously, you know, they're, they're liberal creating machines, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, My dad always said, if you don't, if you don't have, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you're, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a conservative, but he said, if you're not a conservative when you're older, you don't have a brain. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you're not a liberal when you're young, I it I, I always find it weird when I meet um, like college Republicans or young Republicans or I just part of me wonders if there's like a chip missing from them because it seems so unnatural. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I grew up pretty poor, um, one of the poorest counties in New York. Highest teen pregnancy rates. Highest Where was this? Rates. 
Uh, it's in between Buffalo and Rochester. Um, small town on the Erie Canal. And um, so upstate, a lot of snow. You dug your cars yeah, out. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it snows in like May. Yeah. <laughs> so I just realized pretty early on that like we were voting against our own best interests, really. Um, actually, the district I'm from, the, was he, he's the first supporter of President Trump. Chris Collins, um, he was in. Was That's from your the, hometown. Yeah, well, from my home district in Congress. Wow. So I remember there was a co congressman in California, and then there was my guy from New York. They were like the first two people to come out in support of Trump, and then they both got arrested for like fraud stuff, and they both got reelected. <laughs> oh my god! And so That's crazy. Yeah, so I didn't guy, even know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, Chris Collins. And so he got reelected and then he went to jail. That's and like so, a Blagojevich story. Yeah, he's like a millionaire and he's overseeing like the poorest county in the state. And they just keep reelecting him, right? Isn't that interesting? And so then they replaced him with a casino-owning billionaire. Um, I, Is it conservative values? I've thought about this a lot in looking at my family because a lot of them are still there and are still like that. And so they don't talk to me anymore because I moved to my liberal bubble in Portland. Um, but... It's I think I think I finally figured it out. So my mom has three brothers, and she is a teacher's aide in a high school. So she like teaches kids how to fact find on the internet and how to verify what they're reading is real. And so she's constantly telling her brothers because they share you know the stupid Republican memes, you know Nancy Pelosi on or Facebook whatever. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they don't read any. And so that's the thing is they don't read. That generation of baby boomers like doesn't read. Uh, the, like the the ones that, sorry, I should back the that ones up. that are more conservative in your experience. Yes. So my grandfather, um, was, his parents were immigrants. He's From always where? worked like two jobs. Um, he worked in a canning factory until like it was able to get a job at the GM factory. But he always kept his job at the canning factory in case he got laid off at GM like certain seasons, you know. And so my mom always told me that they grew up poor-ish, but then, you know, he had more money as he had all these years at GM and the benefits got really good and yada, yada. Um, and so I think my uncles thought they could just step into factory jobs, right? These good factory jobs that used to be in America. And then they all got shipped overseas. And so people like my uncles don't have any formal education. Like one of them is so lazy, he dropped out of the Coast Guard, you know, <laughs> And so they don't read. So that side, that sect of that generation just doesn't read. And Trump, I will, you know, give the devil his due. I mean, he did talk. He talked about jobs. He talked about American jobs. Oh, yeah. He, Hillary didn't talk about any of that. I mean, that was absolutely her downfall. She did not talk to those people. She, she, and to the extent that they were starting to get behind Trump because he was speaking to them directly. And talking about trying to bring their jobs back, which, yeah. you know, you can argue about or debate about whether that's even that was ever even feasible or that <laughs> made any sense. But um, he was at least talking to them and about it. Yes. And there was this serious malaise in that community. Wouldn't you say? I mean, that's where a lot of this opioid epidemic in places like West Virginia, I think, was worth coming out of because all of those jobs were gone. There's yes. just no hope in those communities. And he was giving them hope again, and she was busy calling them deplorables. It was just such a mistake. I, I, 
I, I totally understand where those grievance politics come from. That's like some of that JD Vance kind of stuff, you know, just growing up oh, yeah. super poor. 100%. And, yeah, there's no opportunity. There's no, there's no hope. There's no hope for opportunity. So it's just, it's, it's, they're depressed and they frankly probably don't have the energy or the wherewithal to read anything. And passing memes along on Facebook is just a lot easier. So I, I, it's part of me that understands that. Oh, yeah. Um, that's so interesting. So that's your, that's kind of your background. And then where were your grand, grandpa's parents from? Where did they immigrate from? Uh, they're from Italy. They came down through Canada. They came in the easy way, I guess. Well, and that was back, people forget this, but Italians, the Italians and the Irish were totally discriminated against when they were oh, coming over yeah. here. Especially back then. He tells me stories all the time, you know, how they lived on the, the wrong side of the railroad tracks and how he was called a wop all the time. Yes. And then, I, I think jokingly, but it was always kind of funny, he lived on this little dead-end street um, my whole life, and his one neighbor was, was a Polak, and the other right. neighbor was Irish, and they all, like, you know, jokingly called each other racist nicknames. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nothing now, but, but I, and it, people would... You know, young people today, I think, would sneer at this now, especially given the history of, of Black people in America and the way they're, frankly, still treated. But I I think people forget that these a lot of these immigrants that came over that are referred to as white, quote-unquote white people, just sort of grouped into that category, were treated very poorly and were segregated in these, like, little Italy's and... Um, Irish area, Irish Catholic areas. The cat, I mean, the Catholics. I'm old enough that my grandmother hated Catholics. Like that's how you know the, the Catholics were roundly discriminated against. It was bizarre when John F. Kennedy became president because oh, he was right, a Catholic. Right, exactly. So that you're right. I mean, that generation is that 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 World War II generation is so interesting. And then the the older boomers, like the 70s people are in their 70s now boomers it's it's a it's so removed from kids in college today oh completely and in those towns you know because those kids aren't these kids who are graduating from college are never they're not moving to those towns they're not repopulating detroit or anything they're going to places like portland so they're not in touch at all with that generation and that generation isn't really in touch with them is that your experience uh yeah i'm actually traveling home to visit soon. Um, but yeah, like I said, my mom is a teacher's aide in the high school. So she's, and she herself is a boomer. Um, and so she's, she's pretty open-minded. Um, but she, I think because she's surrounded by all these conservatives, she gets things twisted in her head about things shouldn't be. And then she gets really frustrated. And I get frustrated too, because I'm getting older too, that but she's working with all these high school kids that have their preferred pronouns and all these things. And and I think because they're in a rural town, they have less influence. So I'm trying to explain to her, like, Mom, they, you know, of course they change their mind every other week what they want to be. They're teenagers. And, you know, they only have the Internet. They don't have role models in their town that they go, I, that's who I am. That's what I relate to. Yeah. I mean, all these, most of these people are out of work. They can't really turn to somebody that they think looks or sounds like them that's in some kind of position of power because like you said they're they're the people they're electing are like casino billionaires. Right. I mean I that's not really somebody you can 
It's always the same families. You can look at and say, well, maybe I'll be that someday. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's... I mean, it's almost like, a caste system, right? Well, in New York State, like, you know, we had multiple Cuomos as governors. Like, it's, you know, the Democratic Party is just as bad as the Republican Party, right? Like, they... they you know what's interesting about New York State, though, is how purple it really is. How How New York City has all these Republican governors. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? You know, like a Giuliani would never be elected here, not in this current climate. You know, maybe maybe pre-dementia Giuliani, maybe hopefully someday could clean this place up the way he cleaned up New York City, but... Well, the crime thing I actually read is coming back. Like the new mayor, I forget his name, but there's a Adams. black mayor. Yeah, yeah. he ran on crime. He and did. And they said his numbers with the black community were huge. Oh, I think so, because they actually want police. Yeah. I mean, that's what the data says. Right, right. Like, yeah, like Minnesota had a chance to vote um, to get rid of their police, I guess, and they voted overwhelmingly to strengthen them. And And that's where George Floyd happened. Right, right. And so, and then all the elections in California that just happened where they ousted or didn't vote for the more far-left candidates like they normally would have. And they got rid of Chesa Boudin and uh, the DA in San Francisco. Like, people, the people want to be safe. And but what is going on safe. here, Vicky? Because, you know, you're at the helm of this Portland party. Why aren't we recalling Mike Schmidt the way they recalled Chesa Booty? Why aren't we doing that? Um, the reason Portland party hasn't taken that up, and I know a lot of people have asked us to, um, as I personally just don't know anybody to replace him. And I don't think a recall I don't either. would work without a replacement in mind. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I don't either. And I've I've asked, I, I know you all have, I've asked and talked to, and Jennifer and I have talked about this, numerous, we've floated numerous, numerous names that we think would be great, and there's just really, there's no interest I mean, in it. Yeah, who would want the job at this point? Same with mayor, like, I mean, that, I mean, that recall was doomed to fail anyway, but even coming up in the next election when he's, when it's time for him to go, like, who wants to take that job over? What have you, has the Portland party talked to any of these DAs who have left voluntarily about taking that job? Because, you know, that's how Brooke Jenkins got elected. She had left Chez's office and she's, I mean, San Francisco is an international city and Portland is absolutely not. And San Francisco is a world-class city in a way that Portland is absolutely not and may never be and doesn't seem interested in being. And so Brooke has that unicorn quality, too, of just, like, being interracial and beautiful. And um, I think she is Black or identifies as Black, which is, you know, I think people want to see, especially in progressive cities. And I absolutely understand why. Um, And I think everybody in Portland would like to see a Black DA. I don't know that we've had one. I mean, I think everybody would like to see that. We just don't have that kind of population. I mean, it's the whitest big city in America. We just don't have a lot of people to draw from. But, you know, I don't know that there's been a woman. I mean, we might be, a lot of them are women that have left. I don't think we have. And a lot of them are women that have left. And I want, I think, I think the city uh, is, as into Mike Schmidt as the loudest people in the room seem to be, I think it would be, it's hard for them to attack that identity politics. I mean, he's a white guy. That's a fact. Yep. And if you've got at least, you know, some historically oppressed group, somebody from that group running against him, 
or or, or in line for replacing him. I, I, I don't know. Have you all talked to any of those women who have left the office? Uh, we haven't, but that's a really good idea because you're right. Like most of them have said women weren't treated fairly under him. Yeah. I mean, they, if you read those, like the letters that were published by the media, it sounds like they they were, they felt like the climate there was unfavorable. Like you said, they weren't treated fairly. They, that, that would be a good, probably good face. And they all seem like progressive people. Um, so they yeah. seem like people who could actually win, um, but who are also interested in like enforcing laws. Well, even the guy that was running against him had a pretty progressive platform too. Like looking back. Now, Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. I know Ethan Knight. So Ethan, I think the issue with Ethan, now Ethan's another white male. Uh, so it was two white males running against each other for DA. And I think the issue with one of the issues that, that the loud people in the room had with Ethan was he's a, he's an assistant U S attorney and they wanted a, Mike was a public defender. They wanted a public defender. And there's that, there was that, I don't think Mike got a ton of, I know he didn't get a ton of money from Soros, which is weird. You think he would have, I think he just got a sprinkling, but um, you think there would have been more, but my understanding is the reason he was at least supported by the Soros types or the Soros backed other people um, in progressive cities is because he, he's a, he was a public defender and, and they wanted to see public defenders as, as DAs. They wanted that shift. They didn't want another prosecutor in that arena. And Ethan would have been great, but Ethan is a very, you know, what people don't understand is even though he's an assistant U.S. attorney, he is a, he lives in Portland. Like he's an extremely, hence he is a extremely progressive person, like 90% of us who live here. Um, <laughs> right. He's just interested in enforcing laws, which I think the fringe left is not as interested in. And, and they're so loud that they were able to kind of drive that the Mike Schmidt campaign home. Um, and, you know, there was, there, there just was no, I, I think there was a lot of suspicion and derision towards police that was just really present in Port- Portland culture, even with people who are interested in enforcing laws who are now trying to roll back this defund the police movement that a lot of them led. Right. I mean, have you, have, has anybody in Portland party heard that sentiment of these people who were, think of themselves as progressives still? and who were initially interested in defunding the police and now are kind of looking around and realizing, no, I, I'd like to call the police. I don't want to be on hold with 911 for three hours. Definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of people in the group that, I mean, myself included, I supported the George Floyd riots to an extent. I mean, I didn't support the anarchist white children running around smashing things for no good reason, as they do with any protest. But... Um, so which, what part of the riots did you support? Well, I didn't support the rioting. I, I mean, I support, like, the when, when Trump sent the feds into town, I supported that rioting, for sure, um, because... Oh, it, the rioting against the feds. Yeah, like, that was ridiculous. But, I mean, the you know, just, there were very peaceful protests in Portland. Like, I live in North Portland, and so there were, like, so many, like, daytime caravans because of COVID with cars, uh, there's still a group of people to this day that stand out on the corner of um, is it North Denver and uh, Rosa Parks and hold BLM signs every day at noon. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of that stuff going on. And obviously I support all of that. Um, but yeah, the when they, again, being in North Portland, I live really close to the, the 
police association building, so our neighborhood was subjected to the tear gassing of, you know, smashing of BIPOC-owned businesses all along MLK and all in Kenton where the PPA is. Um, so that I obviously didn't support, especially when you have black community leaders coming out saying, please stop smashing up black businesses. Yeah, you know, on this isn't as close to where you are, but I was on Alberta. I think this sign is still up. I was on Alberta like last spring and I noticed this sign up. It was up two years ago, but it was still up last spring. So I think they were still having issues with it. But there was a sign up that said, this is a black owned business. We support BLM. You know, it was one of those don't oh, hurt me signs. Yeah, they're all they're over all downtown. Over, they're all over my neighborhood. Yes. And they're all over downtown as well that just say, and in fact, there's a black owned business that is routinely smashed up at the bottom of this building, a black woman owned business of all things. And, you know, there are these signs in the, these don't hurt me signs in the windows. We support you. We support BLM. We support a movement against police brutality. Please leave us alone. And yeah. And it, they're still routinely smashed up. There was, I think there were reports of them going around, uh, anybody that had an American flag on their house at that point, too, were getting targeted, too. And um, there was some news coverage with my, one of my neighbors, not direct neighbor, but in my neighborhood, um, Terrence Moses, he runs a nonprofit called Neighbors Helping Neighbors. He does, he's, a, he's an angel. Uh, he's done so much for the community. Uh, the city actually has the, him listed on their website because they're not able to help clean up camps that he'll come help. And he's very- So the city is saying, the city of Portland says on the city of Portland's website, we can't clean up hazardous homeless camps. Call Terrence Moses. Yeah, if you need help right away, you can. There's a couple of nonprofits, and his is one. They have, he has on his own page. On neighbors the helping website. neighbors is what it's called. Yes, um, and he's he's got a very humane approach too. Like he, you know, helps. I just gave him two boxes of shoes to give out to people. You know, he gives clothing, food tries to help people and find services. Um, I got off track there. So but during the, the protests, um, he's he's a black man, I should state, an older black man, and he was very proudly served in the army. And so he spoke out on the news stating that, you know, why are you targeting American flags? Like, I take pride in the flag. I take pride in my service. I'm a black man in this black neighborhood. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you live in it. Do you live in a in a predominantly minority neighborhood? This neighborhood that was smashed up. Um, I mean, obviously, North Portland is is the last gentrification zone of Portland, right? Um, so, black people have been pushed out. Um, but yeah, they're actually. I'm getting one of the metro housing buildings in my block, and it is going to be prioritizing uh, people of color transitioning out of homelessness. So, you know, there's stuff like that going on. But yeah, I, I'd say other than far east Portland, like east of 82nd, we probably have a higher concentration in North Portland for sure. And tell me about this charter reform that the Portland party is investigating and analyzing. What do you know? Every, every I'm getting a lot of messages from listeners wanting to know about this charter reform. They want to see the charter reform. They want to see the city reform. They want a city manager. There are a lot of things in there that they like and they want to know whether to vote for it. What do you know about this charter reform, and does the Portland Party support it, and if not, why? I know too much, I feel like. No, there's definitely 
a ton of information out there and I understand why people are overwhelmed and um, what's been put out in the news is obviously just very small snippets of what's really been going on and I don't pretend to know I haven't you know listened into full meetings I've tried to call into a few in the some of the public comments are just too much to try to sit through. Vadim that was running, that he quit the Charter Commission now. Um, and then it's, what is it, two of um, Bud Clark's uh, former staff members. I think those two have been the ones on the news <clears throat> officially, but um, they have a So pack. Vadim Mazierski, who ran for Joanne Hardesty's seat and lost in the primary to Joanne and Renee Gonzalez, he quit the Charter Commission? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, so the report that came out about the poll that was ignored or not really shown to them that, that showed uh, women and minorities and people in North Portland wanted the vote split into separate line items. Yeah, so talk about that. So they're presenting this charter reform in the upcoming election. They're presenting it as one big package, right? We can't vote on the separate ideas yeah one lump package and i think it's really confusing because i think most of us thought it was going to be a real basic what form of government should we have question and you know like do we want a strong mayor do we want a city manager and that was it and now we've got all this i think the other thing people wanted to was more district representation and not these at large you know everybody could live in the west hills kind of election um, Although they, I mean, they don't like Joanne Hersey doesn't live in the West so, Hills, but but they cooked neither up just Renee, but yeah, right. Um, but yeah, they cooked up all these other things with ranked choice voting, which I think polling did show a lot of people are interested in, but I think a lot more of us don't understand it. And there's oh, I don't understand it at all, and I don't think the listeners do, and I think they no. Can, so can you break down for us what is problematic about what they're proposing? Um, from what. I'm gathering it's not that ranked choice voting itself is a problem. It's combining it with these multi-member districts. Um, that combination has never been practiced anywhere in the United States. So what is ranked choice voting? Um, there are multiple names for various methods of this because I've heard of like the star method. Apparently, a thing they're leaving out of the descriptions of what they've chosen for Portland is called the single transferable vote. I am trying to learn more about it myself. Um, but they showed a little cartoon where there's like five candidates running and all the little bubbles you would get to fill out ranking your candidates. But in reality, because of the multi-member districts, you could have possibly 30 people running. And so this pack is saying that there would be like 900 bubbles for you to try to rank your candidates. Which PAC is saying that? Um, so their PAC is called the Partnership for Common Sense Government. And what do you know about them? And so it's Alyssa Vadim and two of Bud Clark's former staffers. And I believe one of them has been very engaged um, researching and calling into meetings and arguing with them about their decisions. And so they are pushing for a no vote. Um, we just met with them on Tuesday and shared a Zoom on our blog, portlandparty.org. So you can watch that video and that conversation with Alyssa there. Um, and she kind of laid out the basics of what 
the charter uh, committee has proposed and you know that they are for charter reform but not in this lump package they were very very much pushing for everything to be single line items so that people could vote on what they liked and what they didn't like and you can find them on twitter at sensible gov pdx sensible gov pdx partnership for common sense government and it looks like they also have a website, commonsensegovpdx.com. So that consists of Alyssa, Vadim, these former Bud Clark staffers, and they're, they're, they've created this pack that's educating people about why the Charter Commission's ideas are, are should be rejected. Is that correct? Yes, and they've gotten very active on Twitter this week alone um, and it's been interesting for me to see responses to that from people who understand more about ranked choice voting and it's I mean obviously I don't know if these people are experts by any means but what I'm seeing in response doesn't sound like the Charter Commission is telling people the full story. And by multi-member districts you mean one of the things in this lump package that we're going to be voting on, I guess, in November, that the Charter Commission has come up with, and this is a group of people. Who who appointed these people? Do you know? Uh, Was it city council? Someone in the city. I don't know how they appoint all their various commissions. So somebody in the city appointed a bunch of people to 20 this people. 20, to this Charter Commission to come up with something that they could put on the ballot, and they're putting it on the ballot in a lump some idea. So you can't accept or reject any of these ideas as as one idea. It's just a big package of a bunch of changes that you're going to be asked to vote on. And I think people are compelled to want to vote for it because the Portland city government is so screwed up. Um, but And maybe that's why there's this education going on through Vadim's Pack about what exactly is being presented to voters and Portland parties looking into this too. And what did Vidim and Alyssa say when they came and talked to the Portland party about what's going on here and why it should be rejected? Um, so the thing I already said about the ranked choice plus multi-member districts, um, I think they're just outright against multi-member districts in and of itself. Um, so what that means is People wanted district representation. They wanted their representatives to come from their neighborhood so they understood their problems. Right, because right now the city commissioners who are on city council are elected generally from within the city, but they don't represent neighborhoods, which is why we have neighborhood associations and elected officials on neighborhood associations. But people want to, maybe people want to see um, people elected from their actual geographical districts. And that's why the commission came up with this idea to have a whole bunch of people from a geographical district elected a city council. That's their idea. Um, the, the Charter Commission says that the studies they looked at show that this would create the most diversity and equity because any way you try to slice up Portland, it's always 50% white. Um, so this is their solution to try to get more people of color on council, which I think is kind of funny because we've got no straight white men on council other than the mayor. If we're gonna, 
slice up the city and it's always 50% white, why would a geographical district make any difference? If it's always 50% white, why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, my thought all How along does that fix it? before they came up with this was like, yeah, district representation makes sense. Uh, somebody who lives in a geographically drawn by a population, you know, contiguous lines, so they're not, you know, making stuff up like federal elections. Uh, but if you're in my gen general several neighborhoods around me, we probably have the same problems, right? So you'd probably be on my side and understand where we're coming from. So I thought that was fine. Um, the We have a blog posted um, from a, the Park Rose. Oh, what's their name? So the Park Rose. Is that where Joanne lives? She's in Gateway. Okay. Um, I'm failing at the name of this group, but um, Terry Murphy runs this group in Park Rose, and he has like a, I think it's like a once a month market, and he runs a convenience store, I think, and um, yeah, he runs the Park Rose market, and he's been very involved with Charter, and so he's had a couple of town halls with the commission members, one back in April and then one last month, and we have them both posted on our blog and YouTube, um, portlandparty.org. And so I've watched through those and there's notes on our blog, so you don't have to watch all of it if you don't want to, but um, essentially they said in the July meeting that if they did single member districts with more districts like most of us wanted, that it would Right off the bat, the, the one example they gave was like land use issues that nobody wants changes in their neighborhood. So it would result in NIMBYism was their response to that. Nothing would get accomplished in the city because nobody wants their neighborhood changed and they couldn't force things down. That's what the terms. Charter Commission is saying? That's, yeah. But they want geographical representation. I mean, not the way. How that, does that fix they that? Don't, they are not with the four districts. Because, I mean, basically with population, the entire west side would be one district. Oh, so it's not many districts. It's only four districts. Yeah, it's four districts. With, so it's with not three neighborhood reps. representation. It's four four districts with three reps per district. So what is it, like northeast, southeast, west hills? I mean, they d a different committee would be elected to draw the maps, but they already have population maps, so they kind of already know that. Like I said, the west side would be one district, and then the other three would be on the east side. But, like, so for Terry with Park Rose, he argued with them, like, do their offices have to be farther out, or are they all going to be in the Lloyd Center if I'm in northeast, far northeast Portland? He's like, I don't feel like Park Rose will still that have any say. That him. Yeah, they wouldn't. In far east Portland. Those they, are totally different issues. They don't vote because they're never heard. Like, they have inactive neighborhood associations yes. because nobody cares about them anymore. Like a lot of them like Renee, but they don't bother to vote. Because they're, they don't feel heard. They're, they I mean, feel nothing, disenfranchised. And they nothing's going to change no matter who you elect in these people's minds. Right. How do we change that? Vicky? I mean, Eastport, everybody who runs always promises the moon to East Portland and they never get anything. Like 82nd is finally getting some crosswalks. Could you fix the potholes? How, how do we fix that, though? Because, you know, Shariah lives in Gresham. Did, did those people not 
vote for her? I mean, how how do we get these people to start voting again? Because the current people aren't going to pay attention to them. No. I mean, that is one good idea that came out of the Charter Commission. Um, they would be eliminating the May quote-unquote primary because it's not really a primary, but it can be a primary um, because it's obviously the lowest voter turnout. So we just reelected a bunch of incumb- incumbents on like, you know, 20% yeah. of the voters or something, right? That's not a real majority when nobody's voting. So they would eliminate the primary and all these people like running for city council would go straight to the general yeah. and then we'd have ranked choice voting. So let's say with Joanne, Vadim and Renee, they would all be presented to you. And instead of voting for one, you would get to say like, you know, Renee, number one, Vadim, number two, Joanne, number three. So it actually wouldn't, it's not that you would get to, that's how it would work. Yes. That's interesting. And so there'd be, and, and then that would decide the ultimate election. There's no primaries. Yes. And so I, that, the no primary thing I agree with, the ranked choice voting is a whole other story. But um, yeah, like we just, well, sorry, back that up. Um, we learned through this election process that a lot of people don't understand how the county and metro elections work. Uh, myself no, included, nobody does. Myself included. And I think you guys covered that in one of your other podcasts. Um, but we've, we learned that a lot of independents didn't think they would be able to vote. They didn't. I mean, a lot of people didn't think it was a primary. They thought right, because they they're closed. Prime, they're closed. Right. And so they're the registered independent. They, couldn't, they didn't think they could vote for anybody, but they also didn't think it would determine the winner in May. And yeah. What's so weird is, so on, if you open up your Portland ballot, it's really interesting because we have all these city and county positions that are nonpartisan. And I think what people don't understand is you do get to vote for those people, no matter how you're registered, because they're all nonpartisan, but people don't understand that. And I, I don't think they bother to open up your ballot. The one, one of the things that I find frustrating about these closed primaries is if you are partisan, let's say for governor, um, that you only get to vote for your candidate. So if I open up, I'm a registered Democrat, if I open up my ballot, I only get to vote for Tobias Reed or Tina Kotek. I don't get a vote for Christine Drazen. I don't get a vote for Betsy, who was running as an independent, who's just now gotten enough, she had to get a bunch of signatures because she was running as an independent to get on the general ballot. And I think you're right. I think voter turnout is low for these primaries because people don't realize not only do people in these counties that are ignored feel like they're not going to change anything. So what's the point in voting? They're just going to be ignored anyway. But I think there's also the sentiment that why open up my ballot and vote for anybody because it's all going to be closed anyway. And then it's not going to be until the general that it's, it's open voting. So even though I'm registered Democrat, I can vote for Christine Drazen in the general. I can vote for Betsy Johnson if she gets enough signatures, which she did in the general but the primary is just so weird and different. And I think people forget that in Portland and Multnomah County, these are all nonpartisan positions. You can vote for all these people, no matter how you're registered. Right. And obviously if they're running in Portland, they're all Democrats to begin with. Yes. Anyways, right? Yes. But it, most of them, I think Majority pretty much anyway. all of them lifelong. I don't, I don't know of a single, Maybe Sandeep Bali is the only, he ran for Dan Ryan Sita. He, he may be the only one 
I know he was on the Lars Larson show. I have no idea how he's registered. I know he was depicted as far right, which doesn't mean anything because so is Renee and Renee is a lifelong Democrat. So who, who really knows? But yeah, I mean, these are all, this is Portland. None of these people are, are mega or Trumpers or they're not running or no serious candidate ever would anyway, because they know they'd never be elected. So yeah, like, as you were saying earlier, um, we did help a lot of candidates and it's unfortunately we didn't, Sorry, it's unfortunate we didn't get involved earlier because I think, and Shariah said so as well, that she she thinks she could have pulled second place uh, if we had gotten involved with her sooner. And then, I think she could have, too. And then same with Alyssa. I think Alyssa could have, too. And her, I think Terry maybe could have. Yeah, yeah. We met Alyssa way too late, and there were four people running for Metro president, and it's really sad that that didn't go to a runoff and that we just reelected Lynn Peterson and Metro has all of the money and they are doing nothing and they are not bringing us together. That's that's one thing I learned from Alyssa is that it's Metro's job to like look at what's working in one municipality and get other cities to do it too. So like, Explain to us what Metro is because there's also confusion about that. There is, yeah. So Metro's our regional government. Um, it's a third layer of government, so right? It's, it's not city, it's, it's not county. area. It's the metro region, like they set the urban growth boundary, which is why we'll never have enough housing. Yes, and they also have all of the money from the homeless tax. That's their plus two housing bonds. There was the 2016 budget. housing bond, 2018 housing bond, and then the 2020 homeless tax. So they have billions of dollars mm-hmm. um, that and, they're controlling. And they're very slow about rolling it out. um, Who is Lynn Peterson and why is it problematic that she won? um, She had issues. She worked in Washington State for the governor up there. And I mean, I think I read in the news that it was like some kind of like Republican hit job on her. But she got blamed for something up there and had to resign or got fired or something. Um, But... She's here. I don't know what she does. Um, she and Joanne Hardesty had a last minute fake out chat about using the Expo Center for camping again. And then when they both, I mean, Joanne kind of won and she won, the Expo Center was off the table again. And she's back to doing nothing. So Lynn Peterson beat Alyssa for president. Of Metro, is that right? Yeah, because there were two other people running as well, so they took some votes away from both of them. And then Terry Pre-Rigsby was running for a spot on Metro Council, and that was Duncan Wong's spot. Yes. And Terry's Terry was on this podcast, and her issue with Duncan was that he has a nonprofit that was receiving money from Metro, and so she felt like that was a conflict and she wanted to make it clear that she, to the extent she was working with or for any nonprofit, she would make sure to resign from all of those positions before she got on Metro so that she wasn't doling out money in her own interest. And and I think Duncan says that he would recuse himself from those kind of votes. Um, but obviously there are these people on Metro that work with him and want to please him in the same way that Dan Ryan is giving money to Joanne Hardesty and Renee equally so that whoever he ends up working with, he's, he's in there good graces to some extent. Um, you know, I think Terry's point was, look, these people are working with him and they're not going to want to piss him off. Yeah, there's actually, so after the Willamette Week endorsed him, 
they ran an article about Yes, him. Nigel investigated that. Yeah, him and another guy on Metro mm-hmm. that wasn't up for re-election. They both, they're both receiving money. Yeah, and their excuse is that it's not a full-time job at Metro and they need another job, and Metro really should be a full-time job. Great. Petition and make it a full-time job. Get a full-time salary out of it then. Make you know, tell the voters what it is you're doing for us that you deserve a full-time salary. Yeah, that was Terry's argument too. And and Terry's argument was sort of like, look, you're 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 choosing to run for this position. So you can certainly like keep your job and don't run for this position because Metro gives your job money. Um or or run for the position and resign and from that job or get a different job. And honestly they probably are full-time jobs now because uh, that was something Alyssa was running on was that Metro has changed a lot with all of this bond money. Um, They're overseeing a lot more than they ever used to. And so maybe it is time for some kind of organizational change. Uh, But yeah, one of the things she emphasized the most was that like, you know, like Beaverton has safe RV parking and Gresham is apparently doing great with their homeless camps. Well, so, but Gresham is doing great with their homeless camps because they have Kevin Dahlgren working well, for them, cleaning them up. But so Metro, she's saying it's Metro's job to say what's working in one place should be implemented yes, in the entire region. Agreed. And I don't know why they're not doing Trying that. to figure this out on their own. Why aren't they doing that? A regional government, right? I don't know. And we just reelected the person who's been doing nothing. Yeah. Well, all the people. Yeah. Who are doing nothing. So my last episode that I aired was about this exodus from Portland. And I had a guy on who's, you know, in one of the higher income tax brackets, who's presumably is paying a lot of these, these quote unquote rich taxes, who is no longer doing that because he moved away. Um, But, you know, I was talking about all these news articles about this, there's this exodus from Portland. And that night of the primary, it's interesting that you, you know, you talk about how all these people were reelected who are doing nothing because that night of the primary was uh, an evening that I got more messages than I've ever received via email and Twitter from people saying they were either selling their home or they were going to because of the primary results. And even though Renee was going ahead of the general, they were just so upset that Joanne was going to move forward. And, and I think it was, I think that's unrealistic. I mean, I think, you know, Joanne's the incumbent. She had a good campaign. She had a great campaign, I think. And it's it's in this city, I think it's impossible to believe that she wouldn't have moved forward to the general. But anyway, these people were that had messaged me were very hopeful that it would be a runoff between Vadim and Renee, which I, I'll tell you, I was fantasizing about myself, but I knew it was a fantasy. And Renee and I, when he came in here, had a conversation about how, you know, we knew it was going to be him or Vadim against Joanne and the general. But, but I was getting all these messages from people who were so upset about and it wasn't just that. It was exactly what you're saying. It was Terry losing Metro. It was Shariah losing Multnomah County. And this idea that all these people were just being elected back in. Yeah. And, and, and the city is declining in ways that even the Mercury is reporting on. Right. I mean, that's one of the, the these weeklies that is keeping up this narrative that Portland's great and is beholden to the far fringe left. And yet, even they are acknowledging. And, and even Willamette Week, which I think is is uh, I wouldn't call them centrist at all, although I think Nigel 
might be. He's, he seems rather impartial, but he's the best guy they've got on staff there. And, you know, they allow him to file stories all the time about what a shithole this city is becoming. So it, it's just, it really is bizarre that all these people were just reelected summarily. Yeah, it was pretty astonishing. What is Portland's, Portland Party's thought, what are Portland Party's thoughts about that? Because Portland Party exists to change things, right? Isn't that why it started? Yeah, well, like I said, we got into the this election game a little too late um, to really affect the May election like we could have, I feel like, unfortunately, um, which is why we're digging in now for November, because like you said, it is going to be a, a really tight race between Joanne and Renee. Oh, I think it definitely will be. What is your what is the Portland Party's armchair psychology about why, despite the city's decline that most people are acknowledging and most of these media outlets, even the ones that that are screaming Portland's fine all the time, are finally starting to acknowledge and the homicides are just out of control. I mean, we've got more homicides. Our percentage of homicides is higher than San Francisco, Minneapolis, Nashville, all these Atlanta all, all these various cities that, that are about our size, gun violence rate is just out of control. And so why are these people being reelected? I know the Portland Party was too late to make any, influence anybody, but what what's going on there? Is it people not voting? Is that what it is? That's one part. Like uh, I talked to Renee's campaign after the fact, and um, they definitely, like I said earlier, said that, while a lot of East Portlanders, his message resonated with them, uh, they just didn't vote. And then the other half of that is the wealthier, rich white neighborhoods voted overwhelmingly for Joanne. And quite honestly, I think those are the people who don't have any black friends because uh, there is such a low population in Portland, right? Well, they're the defund the police people, right? Because the data says well, they think that black communities want the police. Yes, exactly. They think that's what, and yeah, I have a friend, um, she and I both, I voted for Joanne. I voted for Joanne twice. I wrote her in for sheriff. Um, Jesus Christ. So I, Did you really? <laughs> I'm, I'm super liberal woke girl over here, but uh, also a fascist NIMBY Karen. So when uh, did you change <laughs> um, to supporting Renee and what precipitated that? That's that's an interesting political I mean, so. I, it, this speaks to the, the bipartisanship of our group. We didn't support Renee or Vadim in the May election because the group was very split. But um, you didn't support Joanne. No. And did that upset you? Because you were no, a Joanne no, no, no. supporter. I have not have not been a Joanne supporter. And how since did you change? What, um, what changed for you? I one of the earlier things I did when we were starting up the Portland party was I got online and I researched the bureaus that she oversaw because the narrative around Joanne is always about the police and she doesn't oversee the police. No, that's Ted Wheeler's deal. Right. And so and she wanted to, she demanded that oh, he yeah. give up the bureau and, and give it to her. So and he at, said, no, at this point in the game, and I've been in some community safety meetings with her now, which she should be embarrassed about quite frankly. Um, she just, I think in an hour and a half long meeting, she mentioned no less than three times that she wishes she was in charge of the police and was encouraging people to write to Ted Wheeler because she couldn't do anything about it. Um, but they were asking for PBOT related safety measures like 
like out in Mount Scott, right? And she is head of, of Portland Bureau of Transportation, PBOT. She is head of that. Correct. And so when I look up PBOT, you look at all the bureaus under PBOT, she's got street sweep, she's got graffiti removal. Um, is street I'm, sweep garbage? No, just the street sweepers that go around and clean the curbs. But still, I mean, that's garbage, right? Yeah. And then, and then the leap day program, which has always been a mess. That's always been a disaster. And, and, and the street sweep has never been regular either. But she could have fixed it. She's had two years to fix it. And and so in realizing all of these bureaus are under her, I realized that she has the sole power to clean the city. All she did was enforce the parking laws and sweep the street and clean the graffiti up. And that's right, because we have all these zombie cars and zombie RVs. And in, it's changed now. But and she could fix that is what you're saying. Yeah. So previously, if you went to the abandoned vehicle reporting website on City of Portland, it used to say, um, if it looks like somebody's living in their car, we're not going to cite them. We're not going to move them. Yada, yada. Now that Ted Wheeler has created this emergency order, whatever he's doing, I actually spoke to a Peabot officer who let us know that that is why they are towing RVs now. And and, but now if you go to that same website, it just says there's a huge backlog. We're sorry. We're trying to get to it. So through the emergency order, Ted Wheeler was able to override Joanne's jurisdiction over Peabot? Yep. And that's part of probably why he did that. Yep. And that's part of the reason there's no, well, one of the many reasons there's no love lost between the two of them. And the, one of the reasons probably that all these campaign stops, she's telling everybody, you know, tell, tell Ted Wheeler to sit down. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And as a Joanne, former Joanne supporter, that learning all this changed your mind. Yep. Um, you know, because I, I, I said I, 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 did, I support the idea of the defund the police, which is to put the money into social services, which we are lacking in Portland and in Oregon. Um but I also realized that Portland has historically been understaffed in the number of police they have. Um, so even when we wanted more police, we've never been able to hit the staffing numbers we've needed. So in learning all these things and then kind of, I think I, I thought those ideas in general about the country, maybe not so much about Portland. And so and then seeing what's been going on in Portland and like waking up a little bit, like, you know, those issues aren't really pertinent to Portland. I think what people don't understand is, like you said, I mean, Portland didn't have a ton of police to begin with. Then they get defunded. And things like, you know, we used to have police liaisons for neighborhoods. Right. Those don't exist anymore. And, and then, and then. And they took them off TriMet. Yes. They, they don't patrol public transit anymore. And we, we've got people like Jeremy Christian blowing people away, blowing away minorities on transit, on the max, our light rail. Uh, I mean, we have real problems uh, with criminality on our transit. I mean, Jeremy Christian made international news, and this happened here in Portland. He, He was harassing some Muslim woman, and I think he killed like three people. Um, I mean, that guy was bad news. And now we we just aren't even patrolling transit anymore. And um, when I did my police ride along in Central Precinct, what I learned is they're patrolling 41.5 square miles 
And the night that I was on, I think they had like nine people and that's nine police officers, period. And that's night shift. And that's from the West Hills all the way to Cesar Chavez. So I don't think people really understand as, as flowery as this defund the police thing sounds. I don't think people really understood what that was going to mean in the end, like you said, um, as, as great as it sounds. And I mean, what do you know about this Portland street response that Joanne started as part of this defunding effort? So we have a few people in our group that actually work in that line of business. They work in the shelters and deal with homeless people. Um, and what I've heard from them is that they had been asking for years um, to expand this program called Project Respond. I don't know if Shariah spoke about that when she came on your program, but she's the one who Let's remind us what that educated is. our group about that because none of us knew what it was. Um, it is actually a tri-county effort. Um, so there is a phone number for each county and it's run by Cascadia Behavioral Health and they have a 24-7 dedicated phone number for mental health issues that you're experiencing in your county. Um, I actually spoke with a police officer who said they have a great track record of working with Project Respond and really enjoy uh, interacting with them as a program. Wherein he was, the conversation about that came up was because somebody was asking about uh, the street response team and he relayed a story about how they had a woman pinned up against the car when they had called for police backup and this woman was screaming to get the street response people away from him, away from her rather. Um, and they said she was a danger to herself and others because she was running out into the road. But she said the only reason she was running out on the road was to get away from the street response people. Yes. Yes. I have a, I, there's a listener at the police bureau that told me about this as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I countered and asked him about Project Respond, and he said, oh, yeah, he had nothing but good stories about them. Um, and so these shelter workers said they had been asked, begging, begging the county for years to expand that program and fund it. And I don't know the history there. Um, I'm sure somebody that is in that business could give a little more detail about it. But it seems to me hearing that, if Joanne knew about that program, why didn't the city try to invest more in that and create this this whole new program that, you know, we had to do a pilot project and studies. So, yeah, I don't know if they knew about the county program or not when they were doing this, but it seems like ridiculous redundancy. Um, and then, you know, people, I've been seeing people saying, you know, I see this person in crisis but I don't want to hog up 911 to try to get street response who half the time you're told are off duty. I think somebody said they actually stopped taking calls at nine, even though they don't stop until 10, obviously, so they can finish up whatever calls are on. Yeah. I mean, one of the problems that the listeners from PPB have told me with Portland street response and that I saw on the ride along is they dump all these calls on police at the end of their shift. Right. Because they can't do anything. I mean, if you look at what they can, what Portland Street Response can actually do, we're in the middle of a homicide crisis, ladies and gentlemen. And the kinds of things that Portland Street Response are able to do, it's very little. 
I mean, I want to be really clear about this. I think a lot of people, it sounds flowery and great. Yeah. And and I think one of the news stations just did a thing on on them that a, a, a PPB listener sent to me and was kind of outraged by because it, it was really plugging them as as assisting people who were in crisis. But here's here and this is from their own website, Portland.gov. Portland Street Response frequently asked questions where you can find this. They can only deal with incidents where there are no weapons, right? And where the person is not in or obstructing traffic is not violent, combative, or threatening violence, is not suicidal, is not inside of a private home. I mean, my understanding is most of these people in crisis and mostly street homeless people have weapons. Everyone. They're killing each other. They've got, you know, they're protecting themselves in their tents, right? Uh, That was that security guard that got stabbed in the neck with that weird homemade shank. Like, if it's not a real weapon, it's a homemade weapon. Everybody's got a weapon and, you know, as they should, if they're living on the street right now. Right. And street response can't do anything with those people. No. So they end up dumping all these calls on the police at the last minute and and burdening these already overburdened police officers who are few and far in between what's left of them. A lot of the PPB people who listen have left or, or in the process of leaving now. So that's, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how we're going to staff the police bureau at this point. Yeah. And I mean, I am fully on board with police are doing too many other jobs other than policing, for sure. Um, but we obviously need way more social workers and something else to bridge the gap. Because, like I said, if everybody's got a weapon, there's got to be another What way. social worker is going to respond to somebody with a gun? Right. I mean, Renee's, Renee talked about this, um, and I don't know if it went to air, but I, I know his wife, and she she was a social worker. And if you talk to her or any of these the current social workers, frankly, floating around out there, they're not interested in showing up to these events without a bulletproof vest and some, <laughs> right a concealed carry permit and some gun training. And none of them are really interested in participating in any of that. So who will be showing up to these if it's not a social worker? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we fix that piece. Right. I mean, we can't have unarmed people showing up to these sites. I don't care if they're psychotic or drug induced or, or just, you know, schizophrenia events with people who are armed. Well, that's the problem is that especially the activists in Portland, they, Feel like we live in this magical fairy world where you know it's like a movie that if somebody's coming at you with a weapon the police can like shoot you in the foot or something instead of you know that they're trained to do which is shoot to kill which because yeah if you shoot somebody in the foot you, you could actually hurt them a lot more than right <laughs> well there's that i don't know if you saw that video of that there were police officers that responded to a domestic dispute recently and there was oh, a yeah. female police officer. Boy, she was a badass. She was like jujitsuing this <laughs> the guy who was accused of beating up his partner, his female partner, who was in the background screaming. And he had a gun and he shot at her. Right. And she had her hands on him and they were on the ground tussling. So was but she then, supposed to shoot him in the foot? There was an interview with the guy's sister I saw. And 
she was saying, you know, I know he was in the wrong and he shouldn't have had a gun and he shouldn't have shot at them, but couldn't they have done something else? And you're like, what? What else in that situation? One of my new favorite sayings that I've, you know, heard other people say is like, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like that is how anybody would respond to you, not even a police officer, but if you, you know, entering somebody's home who was a gun owner, you're going to well, aim a gun at them. <laughs> you bring up a good point. What's so interesting in Portland is we are so anti-gun in general, and we are so pro-gun control. But I got to tell you, Vicki, everybody I know in my neighborhood, we, we're not gun, I mean, all these people aren't either, but my husband and I are not gun people, and I joke with him that he's the only person who's ever been hired as an FBI agent that has never fired a gun. Um, <laughs> and he didn't end up doing that job. But I, even in the, in the in training and in the interview for the, for the position um, that he wanted, he, that he was never asked to actually fire a gun. And it's just so interesting to me that all these people that I also thought of as anti-gun and not gun people are, they're all buying guns because they don't feel safe and they can't get a hold of the police and they're all being, you know, robbed and burgled and oh, yeah. their cars are being rifled through right outside their kids' bedrooms and there's prowlers and there's people in their backyards and there's needles everywhere. And they're just, they're arming themselves. Yep. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's already been smaller cases of vigilante justice. I mean, there have some. So it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Homeowners are, ki- are killing intruders or, or wounding them mm-hmm. in Portland. So, um, well, that's your political evolution is is really interesting. So what you're saying is basically you got educated and informed and you evolved politically. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying at the beginning, a lot of us, especially, and it's probably on both sides of the spectrum, right? I'm sure Republicans do it too, whoever Trump tells them to vote for, right? So for us, you know, uh, like, you know, legal women voters or city club or whatever, I mean, as the as a liberal person, I voted right. along like, especially when I was younger, whatever Will Amet Week or Portland Mercury yeah, said. Me too. Yeah. You know? Um, and so yeah, I have this girlfriend who again voted for Joanne as well. And um I don't think she lives by any camps and they've mostly been at home, so they haven't really been affected by it too much in their neighborhood. And but she knows what's going on and she's like, How do I convince my husband? not to vote for her because he thinks as the white straight white guy he should be doing the liberal thing and voting for the black lady and i understand that i mean i think that's a tricky issue to get around i understand the sentiment that people want a black female on city council of course i mean yeah of course we do but uh i'm sure there are plenty of competent I don't want to say she's not competent. She's very good at the social justice work she she's does. She's great at what she does. Yeah. I just wish that she could have done her J job plus accomplished her side, you know, activist things that she wanted to get done. It would have been great if she could do both. She wasn't able to do that. Um, I think, and maybe it was just the attitude of city council through all of COVID that she didn't feel like she needed to do her job. It seems to me like they're all just sitting at home doing a whole lot of nothing for a good year at least, right? So. Yeah, they were doing, they may still do them. Are they still doing Zoom meetings from their homes? Um, they were they are allowed time. to do hybrid. Mingus Maft is really great to follow on Facebook. He does like a weekly 
roundup of like his favorite things. And so I've, I've learned a lot without having to be too involved with city council meetings and stuff. And I remember he announced probably a good month or so ago that they were going to be back in the office, but you know, if they had kids stuff or whatever, they would be allowed to work from home. He is good. I hated his park ranger idea, but (laughs) where he was going to replace police with park rangers without telling them, but I hated that, but he otherwise is great. And is very good, like you said, about transparency. So if people are on Facebook, take a look at what he's putting out there because that's one way to stay informed, like yeah, you said. Yeah, and he actually does um, a Zoom town hall, I think, yes, every he month. Does. So, yeah, we actually shared his most recent one from last month because um, he talked to, you know, people were obviously asking him about charter reform, um, where he actually clarified that he's not supporting a yes or a no vote. They said the media is uh, misrepresenting him on that. He's just preparing for if it is a no vote. Oh, so he's actually not. He ran on charter reform. Yes. But he's he's actually not. He's not neither supporting nor denouncing the Charter Commission's idea. I I feel like city council probably can't say too much because it will look like they're undermining the allegedly democratic process the commission was supposed to be. So in the coming up for the general election, who are the candidates that Portland Party is endorsing? So we're supporting Renee Gonzalez for city council. Um, we haven't really had a chance to connect with her yet, but we are supporting Sharon Myron for Multnomah County Chair. Um, we aren't really focused on doing too much at the state level, but um, I think because she is a Portlander, uh, Christina Stevenson is running for for Bowley. For Bowley, yep. So we're going to support her, and then we're going to support No on Charter Review. And for people out there who are like your friend's husband, who think I feel like it's the right thing to do when I've got to vote for a black woman for Portland City Council, what would you, as as a former Joanne supporter, as somebody who wanted Joanne to be may to to be sheriff, what would you say in response to that? I would say just look at her day job. Don't uh, get caught up in the police discussion rhetoric that always seems to go around in circles. Uh, You're never going to win that argument either way, I think, if you're opposing sides there. But like I said, looking at her day job, uh, uh, overseeing Portland Bureau of Transportation and the fire department, that was another thing she, you know, that they didn't endorse her. I assume because she was telling them not to put out fires, essentially, at some of these camps. Um, your neighbors were reporting really hazardous conditions and, you know, instead of even being able to go out and like clear the hazards and say, yeah, you can still have a fire, you just need to get rid of these hazards, they were just told to stand down. And then obviously we've seen the reporting on how many homeless campfires we've had over the last two years. That's an interesting point that I, she's also the fire bureau in charge of the fire bureau. So yeah, that would, that's, you're right. If you do some digging into what she's in charge of and how those, those areas are doing, it doesn't look good. No. And there's plenty of prominent black Portlanders that black Portlanders that don't support her. One being her former campaign manager, uh, James Posey. He actually just argued in the charter 
review uh, Portland Business Association lawsuit. The basis of the lawsuit was that, like, say you or I were trying to get something on the ballot through, like, a signature gathering ballot initiative. It would have to be a single subject title. And so they were saying it was invalid? And so they're saying because this was a different method and it was charter review and, like, charter review back in, like, 1913 had a bazillion things they shoved into one package that it didn't fall under the same law. So they could have multiple items in one title. And is that, so is that, was that sort of attacking this package deal that we've been talking about where you vote on everything all together? They wanted it separated out. Yeah. They just wanted to give voters a chance to, I mean. Yeah, it's too bad that failed. They got a lot of public comment. That was one thing um, Alyssa brought up in the Zoom the other night was that um, there was an initial proposal in April and nothing really changed after they got public comment and they got a ton of public comment asking them to divide it up. And that's the overall thing we're learning is that it sounds like 0% of public comment was taken into consideration that they, the, the commission members felt that, you know, they were reading all the studies and doing all the research that they feel like the experts and that they know what's best for Portland or what Portlanders really want. And they know she knows that they that the charter commission didn't consider public comment because Vadim was on the charter commission and she's yes. working with him on this vote no on charter commission pack. I mean, everything they've presented, it's all about polling. And if you look at the polls they did, um, and it's it's been in a few different articles now, the, the firms they use are pretty standard Portland voting polling firms, I guess. Um, but it was like 621 potential Portland voters. And they've had so much time. I mean, in my opinion, could they have not have like mailed out something to every Portland voter in that time to take a survey that way? Um, That was a big, like some of the public commentaries I did call into, there were a lot of people just like shouting at them saying, you need to make sure these communities are, have input. And in my mind, I was like, well, why don't you tell them to call in or write in? Like, there were so many, there was so much time to do it. And it was very easy. You could submit public comment online through their website. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, so did I. And, you know, I, I it was copy, easy. Yeah, and I copied and pasted it for people to share and, like, use if they didn't want to come up with their own words. Oh, that's smart. It's a template. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ge- generically, people want a city manager and district representation. And I feel like, that's between the shouting comments. That's all I kept hearing was city manager district representation. Nobody was asking for rank choice. I don't think anybody thought that was going to be something we would be talking about. Honestly, like I said, I don't think I'm opposed to it, but I'd like to learn more about it. And I, I feel like that should definitely be a separate topic that gets hashed out by people who know about rank choice voting and not just a bunch of random citizens of Portland. So what would you say to people who feel like Portland's current form of government is so bad that any type of reform, even the one that we've been describing today, they're, they're, they feel compelled to vote for? What would you say to them? Um, I was on that boat for sure. And even up until recently talking to this PAC, um, 
because I want a backup plan. I always want a backup plan. Like we were talking about recalls earlier. I want something in place. And so we decided as Portland party that we will seek ballot initiative measures if Mingus is not going to announce his alternate plan before the election. Um, yes, because he has said, Mingus Maps, who's currently on the Portland City Council, has said, and who ran on charter reform, has said uh, that he has an alternative, right? Yeah. To so what the commission came up with? He's had a pack this whole time supporting charter review. Uh, it's called the Ulysses Pack. And so I assume it's his pack that are helping him draft whatever proposal. And then I did ask whatever city council came up with would have to go to a vote to the voters. Um, so yeah, I don't know if he tried to do that in May 2023 or it would be a November 2023 thing. So does his pack, what one, my understanding is that one of the misconceptions about charter reform is that if we don't vote yes on this, we can't consider it again for another 10 years. Yes, that is the common misconception that's being thrown around, correct. Um, it can only come about through a charter reform commission every 10 years because 10 years ago they wrote that into the the plan because I don't think it had been reviewed for a really long time before that. Um, so yeah, we voted it down, but they, they put a, 10 years ago we voted it down, but they put a snippet in there that said, well, why don't we review it every 10 years just in case? And thank God they did, right? But at any point in time, city council can, if right now, three, if they get three out of five vote majority, they can make a ballot initiative changes to put out to the voters to vote on. Um, so we don't need a commission for charter reform. No, there, there's, it's either the commission or there's the city council method or there's the ballot initiative method, which Portland party will be seeking um, where we could gather signatures to get single title ballot line items um, on the ballot. So is Portland party working on a charter commission ballot measure alternative? Yes, uh, we're going to have to find a lawyer um, that knows more about those nitty gritty details. About um, government structure, et cetera. Yes, but we definitely want one. It's just a single line item. Do you want a city manager to run the bureaus? And then we're hemming and hawing over how to do the district representation thing um, with single member districts. And what are the other projects that Portland Party is working on besides the endorsements of people for, I mean, this is a lot, endorsements of people for the general and the, the charter reform ballot initiative, anything else you want to plug that, that y'all are working on? Um, we have ideas for down the road, but for right now, um, the November election is the biggest thing. Like you said, a lot of people are already leaving Portland and a lot of people in our group are considering the same if uh, Renee and Sharon don't get into office. They're saying that they'll move? Yeah. I mean, we've already had some people move just across the river, out to the suburbs at least. Um, some people leave in state, though. To Washington State? Uh, going to, like, the East Coast and stuff. Like, totally gone. Because, I mean, 
there's no guarantee this couldn't happen in another West Coast city, I suppose, but it seems like most of them are keeping it under rain, unlike Portland. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I thought San Francisco was so much crazier than we were, and the Jenny Durkin summer of love comments during the occupation zone in Seattle where, you know, a, a young person was had to be shot in order for that to get shut down. I mean, they gave up a police precinct to rioters in Seattle. <laughs> I always thought Seattle and San Francisco were far crazier than us. And somehow they have rallied their quote unquote silent majority and their moderates I, I guess, you know, we're all still leftists. I think we consider ourselves that, but the, the more moderate leftists, they have rallied those people to, I, I mean, Seattle's city attorney, my understanding is, is a Republican. Oh, really? I mean, wrap your mind around that. Hmm. You know, Jenny Durkin is gone. They have a, a mayor who is, according to Jonathan Cho, who's at Cho Show on Twitter, who used to work for Como, who's a journalist in Seattle, according to Jonathan uh, who will we had an episode with and I'll be uploading soon. Uh, he says that this new mayor is committed to getting rid of these homeless camps. They're done with these encampments. And London Breed is saying that they're going to work on the Tenderloin so I, in, in San Francisco. So do you think we can rally these moderates? Is that the idea? Portland Party exists to rally the moderates that exist in Portland. And maybe we can see some of our own changes. That's the hope. Um, I know moderate's like a dirty word. I know. And we're, I, I think a lot of us <laughs> wouldn't even call ourselves moderates. No. For Portland. For Portland. Moderates yeah. for Portland. And that really just means leftists who are interested in, as the data shows, like, let's say, Black neighborhoods getting the police that they say they want. Data and accountability. It's, it's you know. Metrics. Yeah. It's, these are all nice ideas, but. In the end, it's our tax dollars being spent, and we're all being priced out of Portland. So uh, let's spend them wisely, shall we? Well, and you yourself talked about how you know you had you had this fabulous job and a great salary, and you felt like you were you feel like you're being priced out of Portland. Oh yeah, um, I mean, I struggled to get to this point, so I have past debt, and that's you know. People on the right like to say that, you know, people just invest your money and put save some money and get a better job. And it's like, yeah, but you still have to pay off all that old debt while you're coming up. Yeah, it's a short-sighted comment. Yeah, so. Um. So Alex Zielinski, who's the news editor for Portland Mercury, which is the most far-left weekly here in Portland, asked the question, I think it's a good one, it's an interesting one. If all these people are leaving Portland... Why is housing still so expensive? Do, do you have an understanding about that? Yeah. Uh, it's it's the metro thing I was talking about earlier with the urban growth boundary. So we need some ungodly amount of units for regional growth. It's like over 100K or something, and we're on track to build like less than 4,000. Um, so... The what is the urban growth boundary? It's to protect the trees, uh, the forests, all that. Um, basically, they wanted us to build up and not out like most cities do. So, like, you know, people like to tout recent successes in, like, Houston, but they don't have 
they have the ability to build out as far and wide as they want. Yes, you're talking about that New York Times article that everybody likes to cite that says Houston has solved its homeless problem by building housing. Right. And so everybody just thinks, you know, housing can just magically come out of nowhere, right? Um, and that's not the case. And it takes a really long time to build it, too. Like, that's been our current Multnomah County chair stance. Uh, her, she's coming to the end of eight years in that's office. That's Deborah Kofori. She's terming out. Yeah, she has never wanted to spend a dime of money on anything that wasn't permanent housing, which is why we are in the boat we're in today with the street camping, because um, she wouldn't invest any money to shelters up until recently. And I think most of that was federal money. I don't think it was tax dollars for most. Yeah, they got a boatload of federal money. If you if you look at the Multnomah County budget, it's actually hysterical. Not only did they just get an incredible amount of federal money that they're appropriating all these facacta ideas. It, it's filled with work. If you look at their budget, it is filled with, we talked about this in the last episode, it is filled with word salad. I don't even understand what some of it is that they're funding, but they begin their budget with a lengthy land acknowledgement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is these are the kind of people we're dealing with here. So what do you say to people, like when T.J. Browning, who's head of public safety for the Laurelhurst Neighborhood Association, when she was on here, she we talked about this Houston article, and she said, well, one thing I do know is that Houston has ruined its public lands, it's ruined its wetlands, and she said there's got to be some kind of a balance, and she likes this tree protection stuff, and I think the majority of us in Portland like that stuff too, and we don't want to see like species, animal species displaced, and you know, I mean, Portland, Portland was the scene of all the the huge fight in the when I was growing up in the '80s between the walkers and the spotted owl people. So we're right. we're no stranger to like these huge battles about environmentalism uh, versus practicality, like housing and jobs. What do you say to people who's like maybe Deborah would say? Uh, what do you say to people like that who say, "Well, look, we've we've." We don't have a choice. We've got to protect these trees, and and that's why we have the urban growth boundary. And I don't know, like why why can't we just why can't we just bulldoze? You know, Chloe Udali got rid of a lot of the zoning. Let's just bulldoze some homes <laughs> and build some gigantic apartments and sixplexes, and let's turn these neighborhoods into really like Twenty Fifth Street, right, Northwest Twenty Fifth, which is filled with not just old big beautiful homes, but also big apartment complexes, right, which. Kind of makes me laugh with, I don't know if you're familiar with the Red House on Mississippi situation. Oh, yeah. That could have been, I don't even know how many apartments because of what a weird shaped piece of land that is. Well, for people who don't know, remind us what, what the, that Red House situation was. Um, it was a standoff. It became a standoff situation. Um, a black indigenous family who we later found out actually had a second home Um they were claiming that they had mortgage fraud and their house was being stolen from them um, by developers who had bought the land to build apartments on a very desirable plot of land at, like I said, Skidmore, Mississippi. It's not far from my house. Um, and then, as you, you know, they, you find out more, it turns out they have this adult son who was a well-known criminal. They had actually paid off the house at one point, but they took out like a, a shady mortgage to pay for his legal expenses, actually. And he's one of these crazy people that considers himself a sovereign citizen. Um, and they got all these white anarchist kids to come out literally with guns, barricaded this block. All of these neighbors that live near them 
were like trapped in this neighborhood. I drove by it. Um, yeah, they were literally standing outside of a. They boarded up weeks, the street. Right? They, they boarded up the street, and they had people with guns guarding it. And they eventually guilted the city and the developers to like give them their house back, and it's it's destroyed. Yeah, I. And and you're saying that the irony with this is that could have been affordable housing. I it was. I'm pretty sure it was going to be luxury housing, but if those people's, you know, that sect of people. Um, had thought about it, they could have demanded that it become affordable housing, right? What's also interesting about this Red House debacle is all these white progressive liberals that I know that are against gentrification donated to this felon son's GoFundMe. <laughs> and they raised that that son, who my understanding is was also a, a drug addict, they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. They still have a website up. They're probably still getting donations as we speak today. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've got people like still camped out on the property and it's a big mess. But so, yeah, um, Alyssa would actually be a great person to talk to on this topic uh, for you because. Um, yeah, I would love to. She only delved on. into it a teensy bit with us, but she suggested that she had ideas. This is what she does. She has some kind of consulting firm that does like urban planning consulting, I think. Um and so she, she had some kind of idea for a way around to, like, expand the urban growth boundary in a healthy way, it sounded like. In a balanced way. Yeah. So you're saying what you would say to these environmentalists is uh, there are ways to do it. There are ways to balance the need for more housing, more affordable housing within Multnomah County, within Portland, and balance the needs of of our environmental concerns and our species concerns. I mean, I don't know that personally um and even if they did that i don't know that it would still be enough because people are flocking here for various reasons um we i mean i remember 20 years ago reading that we and i think the city had done some kind of planning back then i don't know if they're utilizing it now but that we are a technically a, a climate change refuge and you do see that a lot people moving here from florida and texas because it's so hot there I mean, no, we're getting hotter, but they're hotter than we are, right? So, well, we have a lot of people moving to Florida and Texas. But yes, we have that too. So, that's like, what's so strange. The weather or the taxes? What do you hate more? I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky, and and uh, so you think that all these this influx of people are climate change refugees? No, not everybody. I mean, specifically in Portland, we've heard from these folks working in the shelters that they think even though the city and most nonprofits won't admit it, that they think roughly around almost 80% of people on the streets right now are from out of state. Yeah, I've, I have some public defender friends who say that too. Uh, like you said, off the record, nobody wants to talk about this and nobody's really keeping metrics on this. If you talk to the houseless advocates, they say it's look at the point in time count, which is a federal count that that I think we're required to take, but then everybody in the same breath also admits, including the House's advocates, that this point in time count is unreliable and nobody actually uses it. So there's no, no one is keeping metrics on where these people in tents are really from. So 
In closing, what do you want people to know about Portland Party? Like, I know one of the things that we haven't talked about quite yet is Jennifer, who's on this show a lot, is one of the co-founders of Portland Party. Yeah, she's one of the original volunteers and um, has, she and I together um, have taken on a lot of the ideas. Men, men love to throw ideas out, but follow through uh, can be a little lacking. So um, she and I have kind of taken the lead and kind of bossing everybody around. <laughs> You know, telling you know, telling them what we need done and asking for help with things. And of course, there's men and women that are uh, willing to help out wherever they can. But I think we've just become the natural leaders of the group. And and seeing all of these other groups like People for Portland or the Portland Business Alliance, all these men-led groups, kind of failing at trying to rally people together to do something um, that we actually want to get something done and have actual tangible results and are determined to do so. Um, It's, you know, we're all just a bunch of regular people from all over Portland that are fed up. And I think a lot of us thought people for Portland was going to be kind of some kind of savior. um, But since they are filed as a nonprofit, they can't back any specific candidates and they're actually under investigation for that. Is that what happened? Yeah. Um, I I was trying to understand what happened with them. Yeah. It's been a big disappointment. Um, I know a lot of people donated a lot of money to them and they've come up with some real slick marketing and advertising, but really the only thing they've accomplished is getting people to write letters to the city with that automated form they had on their website they send out news articles and their take on it and they tweet things out, but uh, their actions are lacking. So are they a 501c3 and not allowed to endorse anybody? Correct. Is that the deal? And I think a lot of people thought they were going to form a PAC arm at some point and they never did. I don't understand why they wouldn't have started as a PAC. No, and then they got in trouble because some of their advertising looked like it leaned towards certain candidates. And so now they are under investigation by the Secretary of State's office. So when we first started our website, um, because we've only recently filed as a PAC and got our checking account up and accepting donations, so everything has just been um, out of pocket, people just being out of the kindness of their hearts to pay for the website. And um, I mean, I'm sure we can go back and like make those official donations now that we have the PAC set up, but that's why we did the .org the website was because we thought we were going to be a nonprofit, but then when we realized the trouble they were getting in, we were like, okay, no, we need to file as a pack because we want to support specific people. Yeah, I, I think that that's really smart, and obviously y'all are far more forward-thinking. Why, let, let's say, let's forget about the pack for a minute and all the, the screw-ups there with people from Portland. <laughs> Why are they not are they not doing more because they are a 501c3 and they're just not allowed to do more? I mean, it seems like, look at all these nonprofits throughout the city of Portland that are, look at what they're doing. I mean, they're doing all sorts, they're, they're being funneled millions, if not soon to be with this homelessness tax, billions of dollars. They've got Measure 110 money. Um, I mean, they're doing a, a, I don't know that any of us would say it's effective, but they're, they're certainly raking in money and saying that they're doing a whole bunch of things. 
Um, I, do, you, do you have any kind of understanding why people, people from Portland is so ineffective and not really doing anything except tweeting? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I know the two guys that formed it are like big time lobbyists, right? And, and there was a whole bipartisan mm-hmm. thing that was supposed to make you feel good. And um, I, I don't know if they just wanted it easier for people to donate that they could do a tax write-off versus donating to a PAC. I really don't know why they filed that way um, or what their end goal really was set out to be. Yeah, they had a lot. They had some billboards and they they looked great. I mean, the messaging was great. The messaging on Twitter seems to be great. And then there's really nothing beyond that. They tried the lawsuit, but they were really lazy about it. And What was the lawsuit? They tried to sue to get Metro, the 2020 Metro homeless tax dollars that goes, that's just taxing the highest earning businesses in Portland, right? Um, yes. They wanted that money and redirected. Yeah. They wanted it redirected, uh, like 75% of it towards to shelter. shelter beds that's until right. we hit shelter bed capacity. Well, and didn't Looper, who's one of the heads of people from Portland, didn't he work on 110? Yeah. Yeah. And then he was saying, like, it was a mistake or something. It was kind of rolling that My bad, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so they got told that, like, something major that seemed easily fixable was wrong. And they just ignored it when they refiled. So it was almost like they didn't want to win it. I I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that's really frustrating. So we need to support Portland Party. And Portland Party is actually doing things. Candidates reasonable candidates, good candidates are coming to Portland Party and using Portland Party's resources. And in order to, if, if you think that there needs to be some kind of change in Portland and you're somebody who feels like this city is headed the wrong direction and, and you want to change it to elect reasonable people, we're not talking about crazy right-wingers. We're talking about left-wingers, in fact, who want to see the, the city they want to say things like garbage cleaned up. Um, what do people, where do they go if they want to donate to Portland Party? What do they do? Uh, just to our website, portlandparty.org slash donate. And they can donate online. Then they can go ahead and like put their credit card in or how does that work? Uh, yeah, we've got a PayPal account set up, but I believe other people said they've been able to do it without having a PayPal account, just using their credit cards. That's great. And then uh, can people donate or excuse me, can people volunteer? And if they want to volunteer, who do they get in touch with? Uh, There is a mailing list sign up and also a contact form if you just have questions. Um, But I recommend signing up for our mailing list just to kind of stay on top of when we have these candidate events and um, like any bigger zoom meetings with these charter review packs anything like that and they usually try to send the follow-up any notes or videos that we have Um, so that's the best way to stay informed and if people want to learn more about these events they can learn about them on the website they can also learn about them on your facebook page and they can learn about them on your twitter uh yes once we have them scheduled we just did a zoom the other day um and we're hoping to get more events on the schedule in the, within the next couple of weeks. Okay, well, thanks so much for coming in, Vicki. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all your explanations about these complicated 
city government issues. I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to try to find out what the hell is going on in the city. And you've given us a lot of good information. Yeah. Thanks for having me.